So you've got a podcast or an idea for a podcast or no ideas yet, but you want to start a podcast. Whatever stage you're at, G Media Solutions is here to help you take your podcast to the next level. We are a podcast production company based in Atlanta that specializes in audio recording, video live streaming, and all the elements you need to make your podcast thrive. To fulfill your podcast needs, contact us on Facebook and or Instagram at G Media ATL. Before the start of this episode, I wanted to tell you about another podcast that I am producing for my friend Aisha. It's called the Botanica Podcast. I wonder what she thinks of that pronunciation. But anyway, <laughs> uh, here's a trailer for the podcast. You can subscribe to it uh, anywhere you get your podcast, just like ours. Here it is. Welcome to the Botanica Podcast. This is your host, Aisha. Listen in as we discuss topics like love, health, sex, relationships, and even alternative medicine. We stream live every Sunday at 8 on Facebook. Listen to the Botanica Podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to stop by our Botanica every Sunday. We have a lot to share. By the time you hear this podcast, you'll be ready to dance all night long. Welcome to By the Time You Hear This Podcast. I'm Greg. I'm Ben. And welcome to episode 170. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you can pull the mic closer to yeah, you. That's so like, you don't have to lean over. <laughs> when you lean over, you're, now you're out of the shot. <laughs> like this? I'm on the shot. You're still, yeah, you're still in the shot. But okay. you can you could still bring the mic closer to you. Okay, I got it. No, this is good. This okay. is good right here. All right, cool. All right, so um, everybody, thank you for listening, uh, downloading, 
to uh or just uh following along the number one music history podcast in the world number one <laughs> so um uh we're back um i know we there was some we only did one episode last month um and yet we're still number one because i got the <laughs> rankings yesterday <laughs> we were still number one and undisputed so, so uh um definitely appreciate everybody who's still downloading and mm-hmm. listening going back and listening to older episodes we definitely appreciate it so uh let's get into um to music news so um one of the big things that i i saw this on youtube and i think a couple of me people made tiktoks about it um and ben brought it up and, re- and reminded me about it is the uh this lawsuit that's coming against Dua Lipa. Here we go again with <laughs> these lawsuits. So, yeah. um, uh, you've read the article more recently than me. So, what, what's going yeah. on with that? So, I mean, essentially, there's a there's a reggae band from Florida. I, I can't remember their name, but they're alleging that Dua Lipa stole um, their song. I'm trying to find the name of it. Um, here we go. Copyright lawsuit. So. Article Sound System is the name of the band, and they're alleging suit that they're that levitating and their song "Live Your Life" are essentially the same. Um, now, I haven't heard the entire song "Live Your Life," but the main point, of course, is like you know, what does everyone know about levitating? Uh, other than the baby is the hook. The hooks are are virtually the cadence is the same. Some of the lyrics are are the same. I think you're seeing the same key. The chord progression is the same. Like it's. It's pretty bad. Um, I, I got a pretty strong case. Now, will they win this? Who knows? Um, but I would be disappointed, like, of all the lawsuits to kind of come forward out of this, these sorts of things. If this was the one that doesn't succeed, it would have to be fatigue of these types of cases. Because this is more similar. Like, I know I've said before, I'm on record still with saying, like, I don't, ne- I didn't necessarily hear, like, you know, Sam Smith, Stay With Me. And um, the Tom Petty oh, song. Don't back down. Yeah, don't I mean, like, it's loose. I didn't really hear it. The more I listened to him, I kind of hear it. But, you know, the, 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 um, I know you were very, I don't want to say passionate, but I know you had some thoughts on the, um, the Pharrell track, um, that he made for Robin Thicke in terms of like the, the pollute, not pollution, the percussion, which I guess you could almost say, like, aside from the similarities, they were made with the same font, I guess is the, yeah. <laughs> Same settings. <laughs> the same settings. They didn't change anything. This, though, is, like, to the point of where it's just, like, they had someone who wrote this and the writers of this song. Um, What's the name of the band? It's Article on. Sound System. All right. We'll it's spelled, like, on. A-R-T-I-K-A-L. Um, so Dua Lipa was one of the writers on it. Um, Clarence Coffey Jr., Sarah Hudson, Sarah, Stephen, Cole, something or another. I can't. And what was the name of their song? Um, let's see here. The name of their song is L- Live Your Life. Live Your Life. Yeah. I don't know if it got like a wide release or anything like that, so it might be hard to find. Um, hmm. It's not even one of their popular songs. You had to go crate diving for that one. <laughs> 
Who's I'm not familiar with Clarence Coffee Jr. and Sarah Hudson. Looks like he's a uh, their songwriting team. The Monsters. Hmm. Okay, that's different. All right, so it's not on Spotify. I'm pretty sure you can probably find uh, there's a lot of videos that kind of play back to back. Because it's, okay. it's so I can, similar. I can pull one up. Um. Funny enough, though, and this is how, as a, as a, as a um, star can sell a song, as similar as they sound, people are like, oh, I mean, their song is bad. Like, it's the same progression. <laughs> All right. So, so, here's, so here's a back-to-back video. Let's see. All right. Got an ad latest from YouTube. We'll never get premium. Never. Take that, Google. <laughs> <laughs> never. Here we go. All right, so this is the instrumental. Okay. They're playing, okay, just for reference, this is Dua Lipa. This is her vocals and her instrumental, okay? All right, now this is their song. All right, now this is her vocals and their <laughs> instrumental. Yeah, didn't even have to change the key. <laughs> um, yeah, they they do have a case. Didn't now, even have thing, to change the key. <laughs> the thing that I I thought I had read is that they don't have the rights to the song. Um, but uh, okay, so there actually there's another. Um, did you mention L. Russell Brown and Sandy Linzer? I did not know. Okay, so that's this is I'm actually reading an article about a second lawsuit. Same song? Same song. Whoa, do uh what are you doing, Mrs. Lipa or Miss Lipa? Um, let's see if I can find this uh Okay, this is Wiggle and Giggle All Night. That's the name of the song that is they allege that she copied. So the first song came out 2017. Levitating, of course, came out in 2020. When did this one come out? The Wiggle and Giggle All Night came out in 1979. Jesus Christ. And another song called Don Diablo came out in 1980. So, um, all right. So, I, I've, I've seen this guy, this guy's uh, videos on TikTok a lot. His name is Jermaine. Uh, he's a DJ. So he has, he says, does, Le- does Levitating sound similar to these three songs? All right, here we go. Catch up, <laughs> 
similar, but I it's not as blatant because that's, I mean, essentially it's kind of like just a chromatic run down the, you know. So the, uh, the Don Diablo was the second song from that clip. Okay. Uh, we'll play one more time. If you want to run away with me, I know a galaxy and I can take you for a ride. Don Diablo se ha escapado, tú no sabes la que ha armado, ten cuidado, yo lo digo por sí. Then the ketchup song. I love the ketchup song. <laughs> <laughs> what What do you think? I mean, there it's it's they're chromatic runs. I I can't. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know give her grief about a chromatic run. It's not as blatant as the as the live your life song or the all right. Sound system. So he made another one. <laughs> Uh, three months later, he makes another one to oh, see if geez. the song sounds similar. Hold on. So this was before all of this started happening with Article Sound System, then, it sounds like. Yeah, man. Yeah, before the wow. Oh, hold on. For this one, he added two more songs. <laughs> same, same kind of video, but added two more songs. Here we go. Okay, I think the third and fourth was just the same song with diff- in a different language. Okay. Okay, so here is the wiggle and a giggle all night. Because I, I was trying to see if anyone made a video like it, but I guess not. So this is wiggle and a giggle all night. <laughs> That's a stretch. That's a stretch. That's that's a very that's too common. It's just too common. It, yeah, that's that's. Yeah, I guess for me the bar for for theft is so much higher, just because of how music exists and chords and key and melody are finite resources. I think people sometimes like the type of people that make these videos, I think, think that music is like this infinite resource. And like, you know, they forget that it goes from, you know, from the note A and it stops at G. <laughs> <laughs> well, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yeah, there's no H. I had to think for a second my alphabet. There's no H sharp. There's no, you know, it stops. There's a certain, you know, place where it stops. So eventually we've been doing this for how long you're gonna have things that sound similar and that just a a standard chromatic run you could put it in any key is gonna sound similar to that these two songs that we're talking about here the key is the same the cadence is the same some of the 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 lyrics the rhymes the 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 chords like yeah i get it y'all want to hear it again we can go back (laughs) there's only so many but it's just like come on like like what's the what? What are the chances? You know. 
Like, what are the chances? All day. All, like. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost kind of like <laughs> it's almost like in Bring It On how like they're like the little redhead Becky who had the who had the um, video camera permanently attached like were they doing that at their show <laughs> like <laughs> it's like they were just at a show one in Fort Lauderdale or something had the video camera like oh yeah we still in this we still in this jag this is ours <laughs> Like it's it, it, it's kind of I, I mean I haven't heard the rest of the song of course because hooks are what matter the most but like it's because there's there's another um uh there was because that the guy uh, Jermaine um, he does a lot of those kinds of videos where he's like do these songs sound similar and mm-hmm. it's you know like you might say it's a stretch yeah um. Let's see if he has one for for this one. I know he did one. I don't think I'll be able to find it on YouTube here. Okay, so there's a song that came out in the early 2000s called Cry For You by September. And I thought it sounded a little bit like Bad Habits by Ed Sheeran. So someone made a mashup of those two songs. So that's more cry for you. Every time you come around, you know I can't say no. Well, they changed the progression up here a little bit, but I heard it sounds very similar at the beginning. Send me this later. I like it. They sound. I mean, if that's a so is that the song in the back, the backing track? Yeah, it sounds similar. Yeah. That last chord is not the same as the first one, but I mean, like the arpeggiated part is very similar. <laughs> I think you made a third one <laughs> with this this same concept. All right. Um, let's see what he added this time. Okay. Let me just fire up the internet here. Oh, sorry. I was scrolling. <laughs> okay. Um, so you can find a, another uh, one of his. Uh... Okay, so here's one with Imagine Dragons in Eminem. Some of these might be stretches. <laughs> um, or uh, something with Camila Cabello and Selena Gomez. Havana sounds like it could have been a lot of songs, though. 
Like, I would not have been surprised if Havana was a sample. Like, Havana, Havana. when I heard that we don't talk about Bruno, that sounded like Havana. So, a, a lot, I, think, I think that's basically what happens when you get somebody who's trying to make a Latin Cuban style, you know, samba style track. And they don't really, know, they didn't study the music. Like, oh, I think it kind of goes like this. Like, that's what you get. <laughs> like, that song, Havana, could have been anything. Atlanta, nah, nah. Like, it could have been anything. Or, okay, comparing bass lines between Madonna and a Jackson 5 song. And I am a Very similar. They, I think they, didn't they come out around the same time? No. I thought can you can you feel it? Uh, can you feel it came out first? Like maybe like at least five years before. I thought can you feel it came out in the eighties? But I guess all right. So nineteen eighty from Triumph. Um, who played bass on them? <laughs> okay, so let's see Triumph. Because that might it tell wasn't, you that. Well, it wasn't Jermaine because he wasn't in the group at the time. Let's see here. Personnel. Uh, Randy Jackson. I don't know. <laughs> let's see. Can you feel it? Which is track one. Who played bass on track one? Someone named Colt. No, that's not him. Nathan Watts. <clears throat> it's your cousin. <laughs> Session musician from Detroit. Oh, he's in the Funk Brothers. Oh, okay. They were still in. Oh no! Wait, no wait. He was. No, no, no. He wasn't in the Funk Brothers. He was Funk Brothers adjacent. He just knew some people who was in the Funk Brothers. Um, I highly doubt he played on anything by Madonna. Let's see who played on Material Girl. It'd be funny hell if it was um, Randy Jackson. If it was what's his name? (laughs) I was gonna say if it was um. Oh God! I can't think of his name. Now Rogers. Because he did, he didn't do Like a Virgin, right? He didn't produce Like a Virgin. But he, he did. did. Pro- I thought he produced, that is her debut album, yeah. So, yeah, he produced this song. <laughs> he produced Material Girl? Yeah, he produced it. <laughs> <laughs> he produced it. I was, like, I was like, that would make sense. It's probably stuff he was listening to. Um, credits and personnel. Bass, it does not say. Oh, but. Bernard Edwards? <laughs> Bernard Edwards. <laughs> of course. <laughs> So Bernard Edwards probably probably subconsciously <laughs> did that. Like he probably subconsciously did that. <laughs> I, that should have been where my mind went. I was like, why would now? I should have thought that. Why would now Rogers do that? And you've got one of the greatest bass players of all time like, as your why partner. Would he, why would he call someone else? Yeah, like <laughs> or even do it himself. Just like, hey yeah. Bernard, do you want to do this? Yeah, I'll, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if you played on the whole, if you played on the whole album. Mm. <laughs> Duh, Ben. <laughs> um, so with this uh, this second lawsuit, see, with these Scott, when the lawyer puts out a statement, I'll see it could determine for me if I take it seriously or not. So these are the lawyers for L. What's his name? L. Russell Brown, Sandy Lenzer. The lawyers representing them put out a statement. Defendants have levitated away plaintiff's intellectual property. Is he proud of himself? (laughs) Plaintiffs bring suit so that defendants cannot wiggle out of their willful infringement. Because one of the names is is wiggle and giggle. 
Is he proud of this? Is he? <laughs> oh, God. Man. <laughs> I can't take it serious. If I'm a judge, uh, case dismissed. Yeah. Throw this out. We out. <laughs> I can't take you seriously. Um. So, uh, into the courtroom. Brown and Lindsay pointed to press interviews in which they said Lippa had admitted that she deliberately emulated prior eras and took inspiration from earlier music to create a retro sound. Why are we gonna use those words against her? Are you gonna sue Bruno Mars too? <laughs> uh, oh, so I don't, the article, uh, What's the name of the band again? I already forgot. Article Sound Article System. Sound System. ASS. They have a case. Oh, yeah. They have a case. That's a, the thing is, I didn't know if they had the rights to their song still. But yeah. if they do. Whoever's got the rights got a whoever case. Whoever got the rights, yeah. They have a case. So, um, uh, yeah, it's going it's... to. That's so dumb. Oh, man. She talked about how she liked older music. So, clearly. She started stealing older music. No, it's a send up, you idiot. <laughs> like, oh, God. So I, um, let me interested to see. I, I don't think there's a case here, but with the first song, yeah, I think there is a case. I mean, if that sure. were the case, Teddy Riley could have been like, I invented New Jack Swing and Bruno Mars um, owes me some money. Like, no, it doesn't work like that, man. It doesn't work like that. Keenan Ivory Wayans could sue like, hey, that was my set for A Living Color, and he didn't ask me to use it for that video. He was wearing cross colors. Who who made cross colors? <laughs> I didn't say he could wear cross colors. <laughs> he were, I think he was wearing some Reebok pumps. I sure enough didn't say he could wear some pumps. <laughs> He's going to so. be tied up in court for years. <laughs> oh, speaking of another interesting lawsuit... I, I didn't mention this, but that that's the one thing I thought I wrote. I one thing I thought I wrote down. So um Moore's Day put out an Instagram post saying that the Prince Estate says that he is not allowed to perform as Moore's Day in the time. So Listeners, you, you probably remember a few months back when we said that eventually the Prince Estate was going to be um, selling this stuff off for crack prices. Um, has has the, I has feel it like begun? I texted you and just responded with like crack. Have they have this? Oh been- no, I I was gonna I was gonna write. <laughs> I did, I just put the facepalm emoji, but when I sent you the article, it was just I was gonna write crack. <laughs> like this is so crazy. It's a name. Or are they about to try to release a Morris Day in the Time box set and they're afraid it might block it or something? Like, uh, So this was a few days after they were moving to block him from using the name, the time. Uh, and it sounded like they were trying to prevent him from performing as Morris Day. Like, uh, that's his real name. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's so stupid. Like, that's, oh, God. So um, there will be people who will be taking over the estate. Uh, a company called Primary Wave. Uh, they have acquired a 50% stake in Prince's estate by buying out several of the heirs. 
which from what I understand are um, his siblings and maybe a couple of other relatives. So, um, uh, like I said, Morris Day put out a, an Instagram post basically saying that they're trying to take my name away from me. And um, Comerica, a bank that has been serving as the court-appointed administrator of Prince's assets, um, but those proceedings are nearly complete. And like I said, Primary Wave will own 50% of the estate, and they will allow him to use his name. Okay. Uh, well, they should. I mean, what? Well, I'm seeing that they're being urged, the, the estate's being urged to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, and, and Primary Wave, like you said, supports it, so, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> that it currently does not have any say in the affairs of the estate, but opposed Comerica's tactics with Day, like they're kind of instigating this whole thing. Mm-hmm. They said they reached out to Comerica to let them know that we do not agree with their decision and believe they should do the right thing here, which let Morris Day continue to use the name. Morris Day has Primary Wave's full support. Um, see what happens. <laughs> this is crazy, but this is all because he he didn't have a will, so like there's no you know yeah, there's no clear instructions. I feel like anyone who's you know has half a brain would understand that he wouldn't want this type of these types of things to be done. I don't know, like he just he 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 didn't seem like he was all for large companies controlling artistic endeavors. You know, hence the the slave written on his face, the symbol, trying to get out of his contract, doing it on his own. Like, I just don't feel like he would want this done. I don't think he hated Morris Day <laughs> secretly. <laughs> trying to find a way. How can we how can we squeeze more out of this um, out of out of Prentice stuff? How can we how can, what can we do? Morris Day, he he's collecting checks. Man, cut him off, man. Tell him no. Like. <laughs> You are no longer Morris Day. Use your real name. That is my real name. <laughs> we'll go change it. Like <laughs> so, uh, even with um, ridiculous L. Londell McMillan, that can't be your real name, but uh, <laughs> it, it might be. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't flow. That's why he goes by probably his middle name. But mm-hmm. anyway, an attorney and advisor who represents the group of heirs that control the other fifty percent. Uh, voiced a similar sentiment. He said, Comerica and their advisors currently run the Prince estate. I think this is horrible. I support Morris Day 100%. We cannot wait to take over the estate from those in charge, hopefully soon. So, um... <laughs> that's a star name, man. I wonder if his parents knew he's going to be a fam- He's going to be famous. Like, you would think that's made up. Like, yeah. that's a real name. That's dope. <laughs> <laughs> um... So I I think it's maybe this had to be a move to just to shut Morris Day out of yeah you know right before we we turn it over we have something in writing that shuts him out of performing as Morris Day at the time yeah so I I think that's pretty messed up I agree that it was even attempted mm-hmm. uh, hopefully this is resolved soon and um. You know, uh, and it says that um, he claimed in the Facebook post that the Prince estate had told him he could no longer use the name. And he said Prince had never voiced such objections before he passed. Of course he didn't. 
imagine this is all like he was up. probably still making money off of it. Yeah. Like any all you know with the sample stuff. He yeah. wrote all their songs mm-hmm. or most of them. You know, so um, I'm sure he had no issue like, because why would you not want that it's in it. <laughs> playing these songs. It was an extension of him. Yeah. All these other projects were extensions of of, of Prince. Morris Day in the time was the one that took off. Um, Vanity Six had their run. Apollonia Six had their run when Vanity left the group. So, um, you know, those were extensions of him. Sheila E. Yeah. Um, so with those being extensions of him, I don't think there was ever an issue. And historically, it seemed like Prince wasn't even about that as far as, like, not letting someone uh, make money off of their off of their name, like because we've seen it. Yeah, yeah, that was the, the where slave, it, be, the symbol, it being an issue stuff. where they can't yeah. make money off your name. Mm-hmm. He was definitely not about that. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> uh, oh, it said uh, the there he was sent a letter. Morris Day said he was sent a letter in December saying that uh cited a nineteen eighty two agreement in which Day allegedly agreed that Prince's company will retain control of the trademark rights to the time. Mm-hmm. Uh then the estate then offered to license the name back to Day for an undisclosed price. Crack. <laughs> Crack. <laughs> I, I kinda wanna visit go up there one day. Paisley Park? Yeah. See how much tickets are. It can't be that expensive to get to Minneapolis. So um, they're close to uh, closing the state proceedings. So hopefully this won't be an issue in the long run with him being able to use the name. Yeah. So Primary Wave, why did they, what was their, I guess maybe to make money. Like, why are they doing this? But I guess to make money. They're a publishing company. Yeah. <laughs> why else <laughs> to make money? Off of one of the most prolific songwriters of the last century. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> should we unveil our new segment? If you're ready. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's not that crazy, y'all. But uh wanted to have a, and we want to uh, start, introduce a couple of new segments to the podcast. Um and one new one is going to be our cover song of the week. I feel like they're really popular lately. Like over the last, you know, maybe five years or so, more artists are willing to do them. Um, I think things like Tiny Desk, not Tiny Desk, excuse me, Like a Virgin, or Virgin, excuse me. Like a Virgin. Like a Virgin from Triple J, um, as well as the Spotify singles have really kind of given artists um, free reign. I also got to give my shout out as well to um, some of the early, early propagators of it. First off, Newfound Glory, who was doing it on their own by themselves out here in these streets mm-hmm. back in the early 2000s. And then the pop goes, the punk goes pop series who basically and, and, and Alien Ant Farm, my bad, because they had a big hit with yeah. with Smooth Criminal. Um, but like, you know, started making it popular to do them easier to do them as recording got cheaper to do. This band for willing to do probably them. be a, a a mini episode, but I feel like Pop Ghost Punk could have been something, but I think they just collapsed on themselves. Yeah, because for what they started putting out. Well, after it, a while. I think it's one of those things, and not to waste stuff before the episode because I do think that's a great idea. I think because it became easier to do these things on your own that we had these bands because I, I think everyone was trying to hit that um, that Alien Ant Farm. Like I know they're not a punk band, they're a rock band, but 
everyone's trying to hit that. And then, like, I remember talking to Chris, who's been on the show. It's been a while, but I know Chris was in a band up in Detroit. Not Detroit, excuse me, New Jersey, who um, was getting a lot of label pressure or just pressure in general just from, you know, people. To do a cover. A cover. Yeah. And the guitar player was like, I don't want to do it because, like, that becomes you. <laughs> And I mean, for better or worse, yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure Alien Ant Farm's anthology, that first album, went platinum. But like, you could ar- you could arguably say their second album was better than the first one, and nobody cared because of the Smooth Criminal Band, you know. So, and Movies was a great song, moderately successful, but like, no one's calling for Movies, you know. And they tried to push that song because there are yeah. two different videos for it. That was the first single, I think. Yeah. And then Smooth Criminal hit. They're like, all right. And then they made the second one and at the movie the, theaters. Yeah, that, they got the budget. <laughs> yeah, they got the, the budget. Bit, the had version. the fake munchkins running around and everything. <laughs> and it just, it didn't. But I mean, I thought that was, is it, I have the album. Thought it was a great song. But like, they just couldn't do it. I think I followed the bass player on um on Instagram. He's no longer in the band, but he's so good at bass. But I, you know, there's that there's that fear as well. But now, like everyone's doing it, um, I prevail with their covers, their heavy metal covers. Now, because I think the one you're bringing up though is not rock, right? No, because you hear it done less by R&B and hip hop artists, which is a shame because you get some really really good ones from that. I know you've shared some really good ones. I can't remember the name of the woman who you shared who did the um. Oh God, the um heart shaped box cover. Oh, Amber Mark. Amber yeah, that was so good. When you when people do R and B covers, they can they can really come out well done. It's kinda sad that they don't do it more. Um So yeah, so this was uh and the what I'm not what I'm going to play is not Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> First of all. If you want to laugh though. Check out his cover of Numb and his cover of Misery Business, which I think, and I don't know how he feels about this, Travis Barker played drums on. Of course he did. Because he's, he is to drums now, it seems, what Michael McDonald was to background vocals in the <laughs> 80s. Just like, if you call him, why not? Just want to play drums. Like. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> in trying to pick between two two of these, um, I'll probably play the other one my the on the my well Ben and I will alternate uh selecting covers. So this one, I don't know if I sent this to him. Um I may have posted it on Instagram or something. But uh Spotify has their own singles section mm-hmm. uh, in which a band would come in, they do kind of a live acoustic or whatever version of one of their songs and then a cover of their choice. <clears throat> so this band um, made an interesting choice with their cover. So this is a cover of Kid Cudi's Day and Night. You did send me this one. I did. Okay. <laughs> Kid Cudi's Day and Night by Coldplay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we'll play that song and we'll be right back. and turn I keep stressing my mind, mind I look for peace but see I don't attain 
What I need for keeps a silly game we play, play. Now look at this madness. The magnet keeps attracting me, me. I try to run, but see I'm not that fast. I think I'm first, but surely finish last, last, last. 'Cause day and night, the lonely stoner seems to free his mind at night. He's all alone through the day and night. The lonely loner seems to free his mind at night. At, at, at night. Hold the phone. The lonely stoner, Mr. Solo. I will only give you that much. <laughs> I like the acoustic guitar bringing it, bringing that in there. So um, that is a Spotify single from Coldplay, and uh, they do that every week. Yeah, there's there's a lot of I, I, I'm pretty sure if it's not Spotify, somebody made a playlist of all of the covers. They do, Spotify. Did. Spotify. Okay, yeah, they're good. They're good covers. It's. I, I think mean, Triple J just started doing theirs. What like a version? Yeah, like putting it on Spotify. Okay, I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know they were doing that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, their theirs are good. Just their concerts in general are good, and then followed up by that. But um, I will say. And this isn't to disparage um, Spotify. You will hear more creative. Like this is probably one of the more creative covers I've heard from Spotify singles. But like you'll definitely hear some creative stuff on like a version stuff you would not think you like. Denzel Curry doing "Rage Against Machines," "Killing in the Name." Mm, I saw that one. <laughs> not killing. I'm sorry. Um, not a bulls on parade. Bulls on parade. Bulls yeah, on parade. and like really getting into it. So just yeah, but I like that. I like that a lot. All right, so uh, there will be a Spotify playlist for that, <clears throat> of course. I think the only person I heard that didn't do a cover on Spotify singles was Sting, because you're not making Sting do a cover. <laughs> well, he he did one of his new songs and one of his old songs. Yeah, so I guess he <laughs> covered, you know, I think it was Englishman in New York was the old one he did or something like that. Yeah. It's like, it's like Sting, you going to do a cover? I'll play Englishman in New York. <laughs> a cover of Englishman? Yeah, if you want to call it that. like, <laughs> But I'm not doing a cover. <laughs> Um, so let's get to the charts here. Uh, the number one song on the Hot 100, once again, We Don't Talk About Bruno. Have you heard it yet? No, I haven't. It's not bad, but you could also say it kind of sounds like Havana too, but yeah, because it's, <laughs> it's got that kind of Latin, you know, feel to it, but it's a, it's a catchy little tune. Um, number two. Heat Waves by Glass Animals. This is their highest position on the chart. Sleeper single, with according this song. to a lot of people, just because I think it has the longest rise to number one ever. <laughs> so, yeah. Number three, ABCDEFU by Gail. <laughs> number four, Easy On Me by Adele. So maybe it's starting to fall. Yeah. Number five, Super Gremlin by Kodak Black. Number six, Stay by The Kid Leroy and Justin Bieber. The Kid Leroy, I think he's on the Double XL magazine freshman list. And it, I think it was him and the Island Boys are the only two artists I recognized on the list. I had not heard of anyone else. We're getting old, Greg. We're getting old. We're getting old. Number seven, Ghost by Justin Bieber. Number eight, Shivers by Ed Sheeran. Number nine, Bad Habits by Ed Sheeran. And number 10, a previous earworm from Ben, Coldheart, <laughs> the PNAU remix, Elton John and Dua Lipa. 
curious if we'll hear any more singles from Adele. I'm very, I'm curious. I don't, I'm not hearing as much hype from this album. I don't remember even 25 having other singles. Because you had someone like Hello you. and Someone Like You and, um, I was about to say Set Fire to the Rain, but I think that was from the- That was on 21. Yeah, that was previous. <laughs> <laughs> These songs kind of go together. <laughs> not to insult Adele. Please don't come after me, Adelians. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm just trying to think. Like I I can't think of another. Oh boy, yeah. Mm. All right, let's look at the Billboard 200 for the top ten albums. Number one, the Encanto soundtrack, been a number one for the last seven weeks. Uh, number two, DS Forever by Gunna. Number three, Dangerous, the double album. Sticking around. Probably that Lil Durk collab that's helping him. That song's not on the album. Well, I'm just saying, people heard it. They're like, <laughs> hey, man, I want more of this guy. He's got a double album? <laughs> <laughs> number four, The Highlights by The Weeknd. Number, number five, Sour by Olivia Rodrigo. Number six, Two Alive, debuting at number six by Yeet. Hmm. That's the thing. That's a name. I thought that was a name. thing that you do. <laughs> Number seven, Certified Lover Boy by Drake. Number eight, Planet Her by Doja Cat. Number nine, Curtain Call: The Hits by Eminem. So his greatest hits album. The amount of hate that he gets now on social media blows my mind. Like someone was like, he's not even top fifteen of all time. It's yeah. Like it's you don't crazy. have to call him number one, but really we just gonna slander this man's it, name. It, <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like even the game said he wants to do a versus against Eminem, hit for hit. You know he could could, could stick with him. Uh, I'm like, oh, you can't. Okay, look, you're in L. A. and radio is still a big deal out there. <laughs> so just because your song played on the radio that one time. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's automatically a hit. I heard someone make a very good point because everyone's like, he only sells because he's white. And someone's like, then why didn't Vanilla Ice have such a long and successful yeah. career? Or third base. <laughs> Most white rappers are one hit wonders. Yeah. So he is definitely the outlier. Like him and MGK, and it's that's it. And I guess maybe Logic. But Logic doesn't really lean into it. Like, he he could be either or, you know? Logic is black like Mike McDaniel, the new Dolphins coach, is black. Yeah, like, he just kind of, you know, if you if you look too close, you could tell he's mixed. But, you know, otherwise, at a distance, you're like, oh, that black kid with, you know, with nice hair. <laughs> he's wearing glasses, you know? So, yeah, I thought that's, but, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not going to go on a tangent about it, but it is, it is crazy the amount of like revisionist history going on on the internet about Eminem's lack of talent. Let's just say that. I think what a lot of people maybe focus on is um, can you play Eminem in the club? I mean... That's the important thing. Can you play Eminem in the club? Depends on what kind of club, man. If it's a club that wants to get lit up, you know, you could play it until I drop. <laughs> like, have a bunch of people like I don't know. But no, I mean, that is a good point. I mean, maybe back in the late 90s, early 2000s. when it didn't really matter. Yeah, but now, yeah, you just got to, you know, have all these things. And 
I mean, you could say that's an indictment on Dr. Dre's production style. It was it was of its time. I I agree, but I'm just saying, like you know, I mean, how many songs from 2001? I mean, back then, of course, like you turn on "Forgot About Dre" because I feel like "Forgot About Dre's retained popularity almost as a meme. Like people, like you know, making the meme of like bling bling, like you know, it's like it's retained that popularity. But like, if it wasn't for that, is that a song you could play in the club nowadays? But that's a certified classic. You know? Oh, you talking about still Dre, still DRE? What did I say? You said "Forgot About Dre." Oh no, my bad. No, still DRE. Yeah, my bad. From two thousand one, still DRE, and um, next episode. Certified classics from that album, from a classic album that if you play them in the club now, people might say, put on some Lil Durk instead or put on some Island Boys or something, you know, something bad. I don't We're dinosaurs, Greg. We're like Riggs and Murtaugh. We're too old for this. <laughs> and I've seen a lot of those kind of TikToks, too, where <clears throat> like what Gen Zers hear versus what millennials hear. Mm-hmm. And it was the song... Um, uh, tap in by Sweetie, which okay, samples "Blow the Whistle" by Too Short. Hey, See, you know track. that one. Great track. <laughs> you know that one. Or uh, who has the song uh, "My Type"? I can't remember that, but it's it's Freak a Leak by Petey Pablo. <laughs> that's also Sweetie. That's Sweetie too. <laughs> My See? type. So, <laughs> wow! I didn't. Okay, okay, yeah, I guess. So that that's where we are now. There's when they start sampling our our childhood. That's when you rolled. Lovely. And uh, we're still at number nine. So number ten is thirty by Adele. Um, still in the top ten this week. Let's go to the artist one hundred. And number one this week, Ed Sheeran takes over the number one spot. The most influential artist in black music. If I ever get a chance to talk to that guy, I'm going to ask him what he meant. <laughs> number two, The Weeknd, who was number one last week. Number three, Adele. Number four, Doja Cat. Number five, Drake. Number six, Morgan Wallen. Number seven, yeah, Morgan Wallen. Number seven, Justin Bieber. Number eight, Luke Combs. Number nine, Eminem. And number 10, Beach House. What the hell is Beach House? Um, I know it's um like it's a, a collective. They do like, you just call it down tempo, chill wave, uh, tropical house. Hmm. I wonder. There's a song. I think. I think that's what they. Do. I have on one of my playlists. I, I wonder if it's Dream Pop, Shoegaze. Kind of put them in, uh, like with LCD sound system mm-hmm. or I like washed LCD out Toro Imwa, kind of like that. But did they come out with something new? They come out with some new stuff. I don't know. Uh, yes, they just came out with a new album two okay. weeks ago. <clears throat> uh, it is a double album and it's their first album in a while, I think. Well, their first album in almost four years, but one of those indie uh, kind of groups that um, that hipsters were liking back in two thousand eight. <laughs> <laughs> there was a time like I I can't I don't know what to exactly call it, but those bands, like I said, like LCD Sound System and mm-hmm. Cut Copy and 
um, uh, Toro Iwa. I'm familiar with some of these. I've never heard a cut copy. I've I've heard of and I think I've watched out Neon Indian. Neon Indian. What the fuck? Uh, (laughs) What name is that? Sleigh bells. I've heard of sleigh bells. The Ting Tings. uh, I've heard of the Ting Tings too. (laughs) No, that was yeah, that was around oh nine, oh eight to like maybe 2012. Because sleigh bells, people love that song they had. Um, Infinity guitar. Yeah. I liked it for a little bit, but I was like, eh, I mean, this ain't nothing special. Feels like noise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, God. So they got a new album. That uh, would definitely be a vibe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, that'll do it for our music news. Uh, while I cue it up, Ben, uh, tell the people about your earworm of the week. Uh, so um, it's a band I used to listen to back in. High school, shout out to my friend Crystal, who probably won't ever hear this, but if you do, she got me into this band. They're called Joy Drop. They're Canadian. And their big song was Beautiful, but they had another song um, from their second album that didn't do as well called Sometimes Wanna Die, which uh, don't try looking that up on TikTok because they will send you to suicide prevention pages if you try to look that up. (laughs) I just had to type in Joy Drop and Sometimes and I found it that way, but... um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's just their second biggest single on Spotify. The video had Tommy Lee in it, which I thought was very timely because I had been watching Pam and Tommy on um on Hulu, which is interesting to say the least. I'm enjoying it thoroughly, but like it's a very very interesting look at um that situation. I'm only on the second episode, but it's really I'll I'll tell you more about it off off blind, but very interesting. Seth Rogen's very interesting. They really did a good job though of taking you back to like the mid nineties. Um, and Sebastian Stan is, I, I see why he's being in Emmy talks because he is, he disappears in the role of Tommy Lee. <laughs> like it's incredible. So yeah, but yeah, this is called sometimes when I die, Tommy Lee's in the video, doesn't have a speaking part and he just sits there looking kind of mopey on the sofa. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so this is Sometimes Wanna Die by Joy Drop, and we'll be right back. Don't worry about nothing, she said. I'm not gonna let this one go. Nobody's on my side, nobody seems to see how much, how deep, how far these things can be. My eyes are dry. I'm 
Sometimes Want to Die by Joy Drop from their album Vibrate. <laughs> I think that's how you say it. Uh, came out in 2001. See, we're old. Listen to music that's 20 plus years old, man. It has a Tommy Lee that doesn't look like he's too old for this. <laughs> I believe back then he was saying things like, this party is going to be off the frame. Yes. <laughs> He really said that. <laughs> Off the frame. I, I never been able to find that interview again. I don't know what show we were watching when he said it, but Greg is my witness. We heard him say this. <laughs> yes, he did say Off the Frame. Because I think like, he was kind of mm-hmm. having a moment back then. Because I think I, sometimes I forget he was in that Missy video as well. Just doing this thing, wearing yeah. some, you know. He's very recognizable, he too, because he's got that with, mayhem uh... tattoo. <laughs> Wasn't that the name of his band? Didn't Methods a... of Mayhem okay. was his band in the early 2000s. And they had a song called Get, Get Naked. Naked with Lil' Kim. Yeah, oh, yeah, that was the moment he was having. What am I thinking? Yes. He had a whole hit where he was lying in bed naked with the remote covering his... <laughs> yeah, that was his thing. I forgot about that. He had a song with Kid Rock on that album, too. It has not aged well. It has not aged well, yeah. Uh, so moving on to a different. Um, the drummer of Motley Crue. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> From one 80s icon to another. <laughs> yes. So we started the this episode with a remake of the song All Night Long, parenthesis, All Night. <laughs> the most pointless parenthesis ever. <laughs> <laughs> By Lionel Richie. Featuring Jimmy Buffett. That's why there is so much still drum in there. <laughs> that is, and and that is from the Tuskegee album. Okay. Which is Lionel Richie's album of, which are covers of his songs with country artists and Jimmy Buffett. And Jimmy- uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we are discussing his album. The one that made him a superstar can't slow down. And um, some stats about can't slow down. It is his best-selling album. Um, over 20 million sold. It's a lot of copies. Mm-hmm. Uh, five singles all reached the top 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was released on Motown. And, uh, as Ben and I were discussing, we're, we're about to, do, you know, giving our initial thoughts about this album. We, uh, this is the angle I might go down as far as discussing it. Thriller ripoff? Question mark. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, there's or th- thriller, thriller copycat. There's there are reviews that said that. Like I believe it was. I'm looking here, Robert Christ. Christagau, when I was reading earlier, call it a said it had the potential to become a mini thriller. 
So this was back, you know, in the 80s. He's reviewing it. And, I mean, f- from the jump, yeah, I, th- I agree. I think that's a very solid take. There's some differences, but, you know, I think that's what they were going for. And we can even, you know, talk about the similarities. And But, yeah, I think that's what they were going for. Only thing is he can't dance, you know, so. He is, yeah, definitely not a dancer. <laughs> um, so uh, this album uh, re- uh, released in October 1983. Um, it is considered dance pop, R&B, and pop. And produced by Lionel Richie, James Anthony Carmichael, and the David Foster. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to meet that guy one day. So, um, uh, Lionel Richie co-wrote all the songs at at, at worst. Um, even one with his wife. Yeah, Penny Lover was written with his then wife. <laughs> she ain't his wife no more. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was weird is that, like, I remember watching. There's a behind the music on Lionel Richie, of course. And I don't remember them talking much about this album at all. I don't. I don't know if I've seen that one. I, I think feel what like they, I have, they what, what they focused on is he was in the Commodores. They focused on that for maybe like ten minutes, and then he went solo. They skipped over Truly, talked a little bit about Can't Slow Down, and then when Brenda beat him up because <laughs> he got caught cheating. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Boondocks did that the best. <laughs> Kumate, I believe, was the name of the martial arts form they said she used on him <laughs> and the woman. Oh, that's a classic scene. Classic scene if you haven't seen it. <laughs> so, um, like I said, I, I, like I've said before, I like the short albums. Eight songs. Yeah. Eight songs. I I do again wish more artists would focus on making eight to nine good songs instead of uh, twenty five tracks and maybe like twenty of those are just filler. Yeah. Well, I mean, so the comparison comparisons can can start here. Thriller was nine songs. Yeah. So one less song than Thriller. See, the thing is, I think that there was no one to do a duet with. He doesn't have a duet like Thriller has The Girl Is Mine, mm, with Paul even McCartney. though I don't know a lot of people who even like that song. But he has so with Paul McCartney. There's no song, there's no duet with for Lionel Richie on this album. Could he have done one? What was, when did George Harrison die? Was that in the 90s? Was, yeah. So I, I wonder so. if he could have gotten, like, yeah, let me get another Beatle and do it. Well, it could. <laughs> See, then I think that's about it. that that would have put in people's minds even earlier the comparisons to Thriller. Just a uh, you know a low rent Thriller. You couldn't get Paul. You had to get George. Couldn't even get John. Like, but also I think also why it also didn't happen. I think he wanted to do a cover with the country artist because he had he had already Lady by Kitty Rogers was already a hit and mm-hmm. he wrote that. Okay. Who he's probably thinking, well, I could do a song, uh, a song with Kenny Rogers, maybe Willie Nelson. Hmm. Um, I think people still like Hank Williams Jr. Then, so <laughs> <laughs> it was a possibility. 
Um, Found the right person. They still like him now, but yeah. <laughs> Motown was probably like, nah. It was like, okay, well, we're not doing the duet then. So Stuck on You becomes a single by itself, even though it's a... I think, a, a th- thinking about that, I never thought about that. I would have probably preferred to hear him do that with a a female country singer. I don't know how big Tanya Tucker was still at the time. Could be her, maybe Barbara Mandrell. I, I know... I don't know if, if Reba was, was, was big yeah, at, at the time. I'm trying to think, like, if her... She would have been probably an unknown. Because um, I know she started... I was looking at her. She started way earlier than I thought. Yeah, she was. She started in 1975. She signed with Mercury, uh, Reba McIntyre. Okay, well, it so been she would have been an up and comer. She was still in her first. Her breakthrough came in '84. So she could have been that singer that he introduced to the world on, you know, <laughs> his biggest album. But yeah, I could totally hear him doing that with a woman. So, um, and uh, what? So let's let's start. Let's should we just go in order? track order that's or? what i did i'm trying to get my notes to pull up from my phone because this thing is very unpredictable but no yeah i'm totally cool with all right so um, the reason why like the the thriller comparisons start um one uh this was on motown mm-hmm. and michael jackson of course was no longer on, Mo- on motown uh and this was the album came out shortly after the motown 25 uh mm. show i believe so, <laughs> um, <laughs> they had to put, they had, we had to, we got to get something for, you know, revenge or to let Michael know we ain't really missing him like that, <laughs> even though he'd been gone for maybe like 10 years at that point. And he was essentially <laughs> the staple of your 25 year celebration show. Yeah, that's all people remember. Yeah. <laughs> and the shade he threw at his own brother. <laughs> <laughs> uh that is that's still funny to me. Um <laughs> it still is. <laughs> um so uh it starts with the first track. Can't slow down. My first I was like this sounds like wanna be starting something. Which is also the first track on Which Thriller. is the first track on Thriller. <laughs> <laughs> no, that 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 synth bass is very similar, if not the same thing. Um, yeah, I'm surprised there weren't like copyright issues there. Um, a little bit more of instrumentation though. Yeah, because there's you know I want to be starting something, which is probably my favorite Michael Jackson song, "Mr. Scream." Is very sparse, like it's just all bass drums, really. A little bit of keyboard, but like this is a very, I don't know. I feel like this is a, a little bit of a weaker song than want to be starting something. I feel like this is kind of all hook. Like it's kind of forgettable until you get to the chorus. Just my thoughts. Um, so you played on this. David Cochran is a co-writer, played the synthesizers, did all the programming. Um, yeah, this... These these liner yeah. notes read like an album made in like the two thousands. Like there are a lot of people on this album. Like there's a lot of people. Like looking at this, there's probably like forty people that contributed to this album. So like, how much money did he make <laughs> having to pay all these folks? Uh, well, see, there wasn't streaming then. You could do big mm. budgets for everything. He could afford to pay everyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, this like this was the like I said on. Um, 
VH1 behind the music. I feel like they skipped over Truly, which was his first solo album. Yeah. Um, yeah, but this is this is the one that made him a star, uh, a global superstar. Um, this is the title track, which I feel like in the '80s a lot of times it, that would be the whatever the big single is. That's the name of the album. Yeah. It's not normally something else. Or it wouldn't be the first track on the album either. Like definitely not the first. Yeah. It'll be third. It's yeah. always third. Like a, it's like a batting order. Like you, yeah, <laughs> it's like to hear it, that it's third. I'm listening. I'm like, why is this the first opening? But yeah, that I mean that hook is great. But like it's it's all it just feels like it's all hook. Like I don't care about the song until you get to this chorus. Yeah. Like it's just I don't know. They could have done some other things on it, but. I mean, what do I know? This album did extremely well, so. <laughs> but you know what? I it also I I'm just guessing also that he made the he start he was working on the album, mm-hmm. but then Michael Moon walked and they had to rush to finish it. <laughs> well, because what? So the first album came. He was out, probably maybe three songs away. Oh wow! So yeah, the first one came out in '82, and then this one came out in '83. So yeah, that was. That's very quick in between albums. Like, normally, you're still letting singles ride. Yeah. You know, granted, this is October of 83, and the debut came out in October of 82. Yeah, so that's a year, almost a year to the day. <laughs> you really probably did album. a little tour. Like, all right, let's start working on the next album. I probably wow. I probably got, like, eight months to do it. Wow. <laughs> so Michael Boo walked, and they had to hurry up. Yeah, I imagine it like, oh, we'll put it out in 84. You'll put it out in 83. Like, but we just put one. Can we let the first one breathe? Like, can we? Jeez. Because he at least took three years until Dancing on the Ceiling. Well, he probably toured forever off yeah. of this. You could say he Which probably Michael still didn't is. get to do. He's yeah, probably Michael still. didn't get to, 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 get to do that. Yeah. Um. So... Uh, now the next song. This was this was one of the big songs, and it was this. It was the second track, but it was the first single, mm-hmm. and that's all night long. Parentheses um, all night. Parentheses all night. And I feel like I remember watching um, the those VH1. I love the eighties mm-hmm. that series, and they talked about this song, and they're like, "Yeah, this is one of the songs." If you sing it along, you sing the background vocals too. <laughs> all night, all night. <laughs> um, Richard Marks was on background vocals on this. Yes, Incredible. I just saw that. The Richard Marks, who the apparently Richard. will still fight you if he hears that you say anything negative about him. So, you, you're cool, dude, <laughs> Richard. Please don't come after me. Like I think he tried to go fight like a, a critic or something. <laughs> It's like, dude, what are you doing, man? <laughs> um, other people on this, is it Greg Philangains or Philanginus? Yeah, he played um played the Yamaha G S one. Yeah, so um he played on all of the classic MJ records, so yeah. kind of another way that this was kinda of like a mini thriller. You went and got several people who played on Thriller <laughs> to play on your album. So yeah. Um Let's see who else still I might recognize it here. <laughs> so these Not are really anybody. the album notes, gibberish vocals. <laughs> the vocals that he later admitted don't mean anything. He just, 
Which I thought Jumbo meant something. I know didn't Lindsay Lohan's character say that? And um, yeah, it was, I thought it mean meant girls. hello. Yeah, that's what I thought too. She goes Jumbo, and the black folks looked at her like, "What? We're not actually from Africa, Katie Heron." <laughs> but yeah, I thought Jumbo meant something, but apparently he's just saying it's just yeah, he just Tombo li de se de moya. We're in fact just his. What is this? Sweet generous. Oh, just it, just a Latin phrase for gibberish. Yeah, basically. <laughs> no, he's um, just making stuff up there. So, bringing some world music elements, um, still of a risk. Uh, well, I, I saw it as as a little bit of a risk, uh, considering um, where he, I guess his. Roots, the, the 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 funk band that was Commodores, mm-hmm. and for him to come into, into this, um, into more of the more of the easy listening. Um, but this is like I said with with can't slow down is partly want to be starting something mm-hmm. uh, all night long. Princess all night is <laughs> got to say the whole title. <laughs> um, it is. Um, the chanting part of "Wanna Be Starting Something." Maybe mm-hmm. just made a whole song off of that. So apparently, he said, "I guess because his record label also thought this would be a risk and didn't think this would be a great idea." And he was like, "This is what everyone around the world is dancing to." He's like, "When people go on vacation, this is what they dance to," which that's a good point. Like you know, like the music you listen to when you're down in Mexico is not the music you listen to when you're at home. <laughs> <laughs> Or when you're out, you know, you like, oh, let's take the kids and go to Aruba, you know, and what you dance to is it's just not the same thing, you know. This definitely has resort vibes to it. <laughs> resort in Caribbean. Now, now it does. <laughs> then it was, used. this was the hot new thing. Like, oh, snap. <laughs> I'm just thinking like, like. People in Jamaica are like. We've been doing this, bro. Like, <laughs> like, what is this? Y'all think this is new? <laughs> This ain't new. This is this is classic. <laughs> this is my parents listen to. <laughs> now, yes, <laughs> but definitely, it's this is it's one of those songs, and and kind of like, are we getting to how this is how this album has aged over time? Uh, is basically just turn. It's it's just looked at as cheese. Yeah, still enjoyable, but yeah, I agree. It's it's cheese, and once we get through all the tracks. There's something I wanted to bring up that uh, that kind of reminded me of this of this album. It kind of when I wanted to talk about it. So, yeah. um, the third track is "Penny Lover," <laughs> uh, which uh, Ooh, that's pretty small. he uh, wrote, <laughs> co-wrote with his then wife Brenda Harvey Ritchie, who knew Kumatai. <laughs> now, this is I, I really like this song. Um. Yeah, I, I really like this song, and I, I, I agree. It kind of has. Some, I think you said this. It has some country elements to it, kind of. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I could hear a country artist do, um, covering this song. Won't be surprised if some have, actually. Um. Let me see if he if he put it on this team. Um. No, he didn't. I thought he did. I thought he did one for Tuskegee. He did not. Maybe he didn't think it was country enough then. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, I, re- I really like it. I never knew that his wife was a writer or a musician or anything like that. I wonder if she just gave like some words or something and was like, yeah, you know, totally. Let's make this a song. <laughs> um, this was uh, this went to number eight on the Hot 100. And there's a Sly and Robbie cover of it. I'd be curious to hear that. Imagine it's just very reggae-ish or dancehall-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I always I, I I got a country country song vibe from this, and I this might have also been a song he that that they wanted to give to Kenny Rogers for some <laughs> reason. I just feel like Kenny Rogers was was the guy that they they wanted to uh, help um, take to the next level. Make him a 80s. thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean he he was a thing already in the seventies. A bigger, but thing. going into the next that, decade, yeah. you know, some people fall off. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Um, oh, I didn't know Bob Garaldi. So he just directed all three of his videos. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know he did Hello. I didn't know he did all three, though. That's funny. Um, this was this was the final single. Mm-hmm. And this came out, uh, it was two weeks before it became a year that the album had been out. Which is probably when that album should have come out. It should have been. <laughs> and I mean, now that I... And looking at that now, and I don't think this song was rushed, but there are some songs on this album that feel rushed. And that makes sense now, knowing that it came out a year to the day. I don't care who you are. That's hard to do. It, yeah. It's just... Especially when you're trying to write a lot of it as well, which it seems like on this album, he wrote a lot of stuff. You know? And he didn't have a tour to write on. Like, yeah, I'm writing on tour. Like, no, you just... <laughs> like we just man it feels like I was just here a year ago you were like so that's kind of wild though but I don't think this was Rush I, I really like this song alright so we'll move to track four which is it's the country track which I felt might have gone to Kenny Rogers or maybe even Willie Nelson yeah and so it's funny because I you know I listened to the record before I did any research on it and hearing I was like this sounds like a country song <laughs> like it was marketed as such yeah as if, if anyone sees the uh the single cover art, oh god yeah the hat i'm like the... y'all really played this up <laughs> it's like yeah the, when i first heard it i was like I, I could hear some of these being some of these things being slide guitars or or, or violin or fiddles excuse me fiddles um i was very surprised they didn't really just lean into it you know but um, went to number three on the Hot 100, and covered by 3T. Nice, 3T. If you uh, don't know who 3T is, that's the that's Michael Jackson's nephews, and I believe they're Tito's sons. Yes. I don't know whose sons they are. Yeah, know. they're Tito's sons. Okay. Um. So they did this from their. Uh, well, from their second album, which I didn't even know they actually made a second album. Nor did I. <laughs> uh, I don't want to know what it sounds like because they're they're not good singers. So very Michael inter- gave him a chance. Like, no. Very interesting part of this song <laughs> uh, from the first time I listened to it. Listen to that that guitar lick. That is a direct ripoff 
of Wonderful Tonight by Eric Clapton. Uh, well, that was either Mitch Holder or Louis Shelton that played that played that part. Yeah, I, as soon as I heard that, I, I went back and I was like, "Was that on purpose?" But it's so <laughs> like I think who sampled listed as a sample. Eric Clapton does not have um, any writing credits on the song, but I'm surprised that that didn't that like he didn't say anything. I guess maybe back then just no one cared as much as they do nowadays. But like. As soon as I heard, I was like, oh, yeah, that's wonderful tonight. That's the main riff. But I guess maybe because it didn't, it wasn't like a huge, um, a huge part of, you know, the song. Because that part in, in Wonderful Night is like the, you know, like that's how the song starts out and everything. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, this was the fourth single. And, um, yeah, I felt like it like. I feel like this would be one of the songs that people would. It how some of like songs by black artists like kind of cross over into a different genre and mm-hmm. they should be considered as such, but it's not always the case. Like like this song, I don't hear. I didn't hear on any country stations, and also I never heard uh, "Slow Hand" by the Pointer Sisters on country stations. Yeah, um, so I know this one charted on the country charts. It it did. But did curious. it not endure like some other things? Yeah. You know, kind of wonder. Um, so the fifth track is actually one of my, it's, I think it's my favorite on the album, is Love Will Find A Way. M- mainly like the end part, like maybe the last like 40% of the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like how they um, they just did the chorus over mm-hmm. and over. for two. <laughs> like I, But I like how they, uh, how the background vocalist came in. Um, it has a very smooth jazz feel to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was not a single. Let's see who played on this one. Uh, Greg, is it? I don't know if it's Phil Gaines or Philanginous. I don't know. But he's, as far as playing the synthesizer, keyboards, piano in the 80s, he was that dude. Mm-hmm. Like Quincy Jones hired him, Stevie Wonder, Michael Jackson. <laughs> like he was that guy. Um, uh, Michael Boddicker played synthesizer on it. Uh, Anthony Marinelli, uh, Nathan East on the bass, uh, and there was another name I thought I saw. Richard Marks on background vocals, <laughs> along with Deborah Thomas. I'm not, I don't know who that is, but. Um, did Nathan East play on anything else? Because I didn't realize this. Nathan East played guitar for Eric. Cla- I mean, played um, bass for Eric Clapton. Uh, this is the only song he played on on this album. Okay. Yeah. Because like, you played on the last track, he was like, "Yeah, it's okay." Eric said it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. Uh, uh, this was track. this was not a single. Um, but yeah, I yeah I like the it. I I put it on my yacht rock list. I think mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it kind of sounds it has that, a little bit of that feel to it. But yeah, I this was, was probably say, it sounds the, like a total track. Like it could have been like something that they did not. The, Steve and David Paik could have wrote. They did written. not play on this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is the human nature of the album. Mm. <laughs> or you know what, Boss Gags. 
could be definitely be a Boskag song. I hear some Boskags, yeah. It's got that feel to it. You said you put this on your Yacht Rock album? Yacht, yacht playlist? Rock, yacht Rock nice. playlist. Yeah, I can, I can, yeah, it's got that feel to it. I didn't get that the first time I listened to it, but I definitely hear that. All right, so the next one wasn't a single, and I feel like this was one of those Rush songs you might have been talking about. So it is the only one. It's funny because like you've got – this is not normally a person you hire to write your deep cuts. <laughs> and David Foster – yeah. That's an expensive deep cut. <laughs> so David Foster co-wrote this song with Lionel Richie. Um, he uh, he played keyboards. He played the Jupiter 8, the Moog bass. Oh, that's what the... Okay, I hear that now. The Moog bass on there. Uh, Steve Lukather played guitar. Mm-hmm. Um... John Robinson played drums on it. Uh, who had played on Michael Jackson's Off the Wall? I feel uh, like this sounds <laughs> like I made the note here. I feel like this kind of sounds like an early working of Through the Fire a little bit, which would come Ooh, out I hear it three now. years later. Yeah, this sounds like an early working of it. Yep, it's got a little bit of it. It's not like. A complete, but even that right there, the way it kind of goes back to a minor chord (laughs) instead of like, just like through the fire. (laughs) Like, I think he was working it out a little bit and had this one. Then three years later, he's like, oh, I got it. (laughs) like, And gives it to Shaka Khan, who apparently does not like what Kanye West did with that song. It wasn't up to her for him to sample it. It was up to the David Foster. Yeah. Um, so wow, I, it it sounds like it Can was rushed. It now? It, <laughs> no, I'm saying it like it sounds like it was your yeah. rush song, but you brought in David Foster for this yeah. one. Key change too. Only key change on the album. <laughs> I just feel like Lionel Richie's not the type of dude you know for key changes because he's not a bad singer, but he's not like you know, he's not amazing. You know, he's just a, he's just a. A decent to good singer, you know. Um. So yeah. Uh, God, so that sounds just like David Foster. Like, <laughs> I've heard so many songs. It sounds like his guitar, even his piano playing. It's like that is David Foster, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that sounds like Saint Elmo's Fire. Did, was that him too? I don't, I don't know, don't but would so. you be surprised? <laughs> I mean, if it wasn't, maybe he wrote it under a pseudonym or something. Like, <laughs> I'm kind of because who was that? That was um. I can't remember the name of the artist who did it. Um, man in Motion, name of the song, right? Gonna be a man in motion. Oh no, not 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 that song, but it was like kind of like the theme for Saint Elmo's. Fire. Oh, oh, I thought you were talking about Man in Motion because I was like that song. I could totally hear being like him, like you know, um, just going in. <laughs> I love that song. John Parr, that's who it is. Oh, okay, who uh, did Saint Elmo's? Well, Music by David, David Foster. Foster. <laughs> that's a, that's when you've got a style, people. <laughs> and it, it's like he, I think he played that was a Moog bass on the Man in Motion song. I'm pretty sure he played a Moog bass <laughs> on it. I'm pretty sure. Oh God, David Foster, Steve Picaro, and David Paik. <laughs> it's like the Holy Trinity right there, man, <laughs> of writers. Oh, oh uh, God. backing vocalist uh, Richard Page from Mr. Mister. 
Nice. Um, but yeah, okay. So yeah, that's wild. That's his. <laughs> I'm telling you though, that's his style, man. He, when you, but it works. But it the, it the, works. The, the man's very successful. <laughs> it was the the not not necess- not the song "Man in Motion." Yeah, I know what you're, you're talking about the. I don't know the theme. Though. I know what you're talking about. I just I don't the think love I know. theme. I think it was this. It sounds like him. I just don't know who. I've never heard this before. That that is David Foster. He's singing. He's singing. Whoa! I've never heard him sing before. He should stick to composing. He's not the greatest. He's not bad, but he's not the great. He's he's not the greatest singer. But that sounded like. Okay, I see what you mean. So this was reworked. All these songs. (laughs) So he he reworked this into two songs. (laughs) He got a lot of mileage out of them. (laughs) Maybe that's why it was a throwaway. Maybe that's why it was a, a, a deep cut. He's like, eh, I mean, like, we could have done something better with that. You know what? I'm going to try it right now. <laughs> <laughs> why? Because I'm David Foster. All right. So the seventh track, um, we uh, I think concluded it was the the beat it. Yeah, the beat of it the album. <laughs> I heard this is... one before I knew what album this was on. When I was back when I was looking up R and B guitar solos. This was on a playlist, and I looked it up, and it is, of course, the Steve Lukather just going ham. Like, just apparently he was just noodling around and thought there was going to be another take and was told, oh, that's the take. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, this one's very, very aggressive song, kind of. Some, part, some parts beat it, some parts ride like the wind little bit (laughs) (laughs) just all the 80s (laughs) why put this on the yacht rock playlist anyway um like it's kind of got that like (laughs) starts out the same way kind of doom 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 uh this was one of the and it had the epic video i've never seen the video i want to see the videos now um it's it's there's a there is some dancing. I think Lionel Richie does dance in this. Uh, him and Sheila E. Oh wow! Sheila E. is the the love interest, I guess, in the video. Um, but yeah, I think it was like it was one of the more epic videos because there were there was some subplot, there was some spoken lines. It was a it was a mini movie, uh, like Thriller was. Oh wow! There it's a wedding. Okay, yeah. this is interesting. I'm going to save this watch and watch this later. Um, this went to number seven. And, um, oh, yeah, like you said, Steve Luther, like, 
Okay, I'm ready for a take. That was a take. <laughs> Tell you, man. But that's how good Steve Lukather is, though, man. Um, <laughs> I always like to bring up to Richard Marks, also background vocals. Steve Lukather played everything but the solo one, beat it. <laughs> and sounds like he kind of is a little salty that no one realizes. I would be too. You know, it's like, hey, man, you like that riff? I played it. You like the. I played it. Like, but did you play the solo? Come on! It's like 30 seconds. <laughs> I will say the outro solo is better than this solo. Like, this one's all right. It was the first take. Yeah. Where he's like hearing the song for the first time. But, but like you, you said, know. that shows how good he actually is. And even just, you know, to talk about, I know we talked about them a lot on this podcast, but they were a bunch of session musicians. So they were used to, you know, just coming in and just playing. <laughs> Like, just getting and just go, you know, just go. So uh, This song was co-written by Richie and Cynthia Weil, uh, no more for writing songs with her husband, Barry Mann. Um, she has written uh, Don't Know Much, Aaron Neville and Linda Ronstadt. I know I love What else do I know here? Um, on Broadway, which okay. George Vincent, but he he was the third person to do it. But mm-hmm. um, somewhere out there, Linda Ronstadt and James Ingram from the American Tales soundtrack. Um, you've lost that love and feeling by the um. The Righteous Brothers. Righteous Brothers, okay. Go wrote that. Some of these are probably, I, I would, if I heard them, I'd I know what the song is. Blame it on the Bossa Nova. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, definitely a prominent songwriter through mm-hmm. this, uh, from the 60s up to through the 90s. Um, also, I, f- and yeah. I forgot to mention, Jeff Picaro played drums on the song, on this song. Yes. In one of the few times where he did not play a shuffle, because he, God, he loved that shuffle. <laughs> on most of the stuff he played, you almost wouldn't know it was him. But yeah, he played drums on it. Uh, the only track where he played drums. Yeah. <clears throat> that's all they could afford at this point. Yeah, that guy <laughs> was, that's, that, I mean, that would be, I don't know how we'd work that in, but I mean, he's someone so important to session music in the 80s um just with how he played just he's so good and just so few people know outside of like you know music historians and musicians who he was or how good he was just, i wish you were alive it just you know yeah. going too soon really good talent definitely all right and the last track on the album on this eight track on this eight, <laughs> eight track album <laughs> literally eight tracks um it's probably the the most famous song from the album, and uh, I believe that this song has been reduced to a meme of sorts. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, just to just to cheese, just 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 cheese, black cheese, <laughs> and that is hello. It ends the album. Um, this was actually the third single. After All Night Long, parenthesis, All Night, and <laughs> Running With The Night. 
Surprised you didn't put hello parentheses. Is it me you're looking for? <laughs> <laughs> oh god, the eighties. Yeah, this song was just. I'm. Uh, I think the first time I probably heard it was on an episode of Pop Up Video. Probably me. Yeah, and I just, I've just never been a big fan of it. It, like you said, it is cheese, but it's his most famous lyric ever his most famous melody ever like it's like it's what people you know it's his baby one more time it's it's like just people know it like apparently he gets he don't if you meet him dear god don't say that to him <laughs> like he hears it all the time but i would imagine like you know like to to you it's the first time you've said it to lionel richie to him it's like the millionth time he's heard it so he's probably like please <laughs> Don't like I'd be afraid to even say hello. He's like, don't, don't finish it, don't finish it. Like I'm just saying hello, Mr. Richie. <laughs> I'm not gonna finish. Like, <laughs> oh man, I mean, uh, what, what what are your thoughts on this song? Um, it kind of well, like I said, it it has been reduced to cheese. <laughs> um, I think after first hearing it, because I believe my mom still has this CD. Oh, really? Yeah. I think after watching Behind the Music, I found that she had that album because I didn't know. I didn't know what else was on it. Yeah. Um, th- to me, this song, like it, it could have been like an epic kind of song. Um, but the lyrics aren't as compelling. Yeah. Um, this might also might have been a song that was rushed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was enough to, I guess, to resonate with people in some way. Mm-hmm. But like I mentioned before we started recording, this might be one of those that I think the album overall, I think people started turning on Lionel Richie mm-hmm. because the album isn't probably isn't considered black enough mm-hmm. you know he's got a song that's a country song uh, he's got a song that um, that has all these rock elements to it and black people had a different feeling about what rock music was at mm-hmm. the time <laughs> and being compared and if you're going to be <clears throat> to the other like R&B titans I guess of that time mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't it wasn't an album that doesn't hold as far as like that romantic R&B music yeah like Marvin Gaye Barry White yeah. <laughs> um, who was who else maybe even Alexander O'Neill or uh, uh, or even what Babyface would have a couple of years later mm-hmm it wasn't that kind of music. Yeah. And it's not quite the dance music of Michael Jackson Mm-mm. or the Mm-mm. the rock pop music of Prince. It's not quite that either. Yeah. Or you at least don't get that feeling, or at least as far as content goes. So it's like, what is it? And it's definitely not what he was doing with the Commodores. No, not even, <laughs> not not even, even close. close. So 
I think it's one of those albums that um, I don't know if I don't know if black people respect what was accomplished enough. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? No, I feel you. Um, and this and and <clears throat> for this song to basically be turned into a joke, you know, the scene in the forty-year-old virgin, uh, and. I don't know how often it's used on TikTok, but um, it. Who knows if that's what it was? Uh, if they if they like kind of expected anything like that, as far as like how people would react to it. Yeah. Um. But I I just feel it was one of those. This this was the, the kind of the start of people turning their back on him as mm-hmm. far as black black people turning their back on him as far as like the the how this album could be remembered. Yeah. Because it's not it's not the R&B that was being made at the time. Mhm. Um this is it's it's is it too different? Yeah. Is it too cheesy? Is it not risky enough? Yeah. Is it not risque mm. enough? You know. And like we said it was after um <laughs> uh, Michael Jackson's antics, no. <laughs> but after what Thriller became, and if he wasn't on Motown, Motown felt like they needed something to that effect. Mm. So I think production-wise, it, it sounds very good. Uh, Content-wise, is it? Uh, does it endure? So what what do you think? I mean, so this is my first time listening to the album on mass. I mean, I, I knew Hello, which I, for the record, I'm not a fan of the song. Um, I knew All Night Long, which I do love that song. I think I discovered it really like my like right before my sophomore year of college. It's actually me and my ex's song. It, it was surprisingly enough that was our song. <laughs> um, but this is my first time listening to it from start to finish, and I liked it on first listen. Probably because it is imitating ultimately a better album. No insult to Lionel Richie. I don't know if he's the type that attacks people online for saying bad things about him. But, I mean, ultimately, I think um, in terms of holding up, it sounds very of the time. A lot of albums do from the 80s. But, like, like for instance, like, Thriller sounds very of the 80s. But because Michael Jackson's legacy and what that album is and what Michael Jackson is, you, you you just still listen to it. You know, it's still you can still play it and everyone's like, yeah, there's probably like two songs from this album you could play and, and it would excite people. Um, and the rest could be considered filler, rushed. But surprisingly, it was his best selling album. It won Grammys. It was it was, you know, and it maybe back then, maybe you could attribute it to the fact that it was so close to Thriller and people just. I don't know, like, it was Thriller adjacent, Guilty by Association, so it sold. <laughs> like, it, I don't you know. know. Like I said, like, we, even with the, 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 the type of songs that were made, yeah. the type of videos that were made, um, to where these are, like, Hello is, is, a, is a, a short film. Yeah. There's a whole plot. 
<laughs> the blind woman making sculptures. Whoa. Bob Giraldi. I don't know who I don't know if he came up with it, but someone he was did. trying really hard. He did, and apparently he said that like when he you know, he he came in and was like, you know, this this um sculpture looks nothing like me. They're like, Lionel, she's blind. Like <laughs> <laughs> And, and I mean, and it's like Lionel Richie kind of got that, like, this is a bad idea. But he was like, he just didn't question Bob back then. If you wanted to get music video, that's who you go to. It's like someone should have genius unchecked. It's been a while since I've said it. That's genius unchecked. <laughs> Nobody checked Bob. Lionel had that feeling in his gut. People aren't going to get it, Bob. What has Bob done since then? Who knows? But he knew in his heart People weren't going to get this video. And he was just trying to find an out to how we should change. And Bob's like, no, she's blind and she can make sculptures. Oh, well, we know why they brought in Bob in the first place. He directed Beat It. <laughs> I was just like, hey, my, hey, Michael, can I copy your work? Yeah, man, just try to make it a little bit different so no one oh, knows. Oh, he was the Okay. So he directed Beat It. He directed Love is a Battlefield, which is almost the same video. Uh, then Hello. Then he directed Say, Say, Say. They should have been fighting in this. Maybe that would have made it better. <laughs> and these are the, I was just like, I know he's directed some films. I just don't know which ones. Oh, uh, Hiding Out with John Cryer. Um, Dinner Rush. I never heard of that. Tell you, man, this is Genius Unchecked. Uh, and now he's opening restaurants. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, for for a time, he was that dude as far as these music videos, um, and it was a new thing at the time. So I that was pro- that probably lends more to the genius unchecked, you know, where you're depending on this guy, yeah, to create this vision of uh, in a new medium. And you Basically. can't and you can't question him because yeah. he's he's been successful. Yeah, created some of the biggest videos of all time, even if they're similar. But Lionel has questions. Is like oh, he directed beat it though. Yeah, it's like Lionel just just, just <laughs> like he said, she's blind. Okay, and that's probably when behind closed doors, Lionel's like, and that's why none of this makes sense. <laughs> Not to mention, I'm the teacher. Isn't this a little creepy? Like, is this the graduate or what? Like, what's going on here? Yeah, teacher-student relationship. That's what he wanted. He's like, I always wanted to direct The Graduate. This is my chance. Only Dustin Hoffman's character is blind. Like, <laughs> that's that's what he was. <laughs> I am directing the hell out of this video. <laughs> Did I ever tell you how that, what a friend of mine at, uh, who I used to work with said about McGee? And the Terminator movie he directed, he's like, I watched that movie. He's like, in certain scenes, he's like, you know, Mick G's sitting there like, I'm directing the hell out of this movie. <laughs> That's what Bob probably said. I'm directing the hell out of this video, man. Like, this is, come on, dude, she's blind. Like, what else do you want? <laughs> I'm sorry, I just can't. And then they play an Incubus cover of it. There's, I heard someone play an Incubus cover of it. They tried. They tried. But um, let's see on on Tuskegee. Um, yeah, did he which that does one? bother me when people pronounce it Tuskegee. Oh, people say that for real. Yeah, I, it's in like YouTube videos where people try you to be historians. Know. Tuskegee, Alabama. <laughs> like I can't remember who was being talked about, but uh, so 
talking about the Tuskegee Institute. And they said, and, and he attended Tuskegee Institute. Go find, go find out the pronunciations, people. So uh, on, on Tuskegee, he did Hello with Jennifer Nettles. Ooh, I love uh, Jennifer Nettles. For people who don't know, she is known for... Um, uh, Sugarland. Sugarland, being in Sugarland. Georgia's na- Georgia native. And... Um, yeah. So... Uh, Sticking to the country roots on there. Um, so let's look at uh, the accolades that it received. Because there's a big one. <laughs> and wait till you see who it beat out. <laughs> so um, it was nominated for Song of the Year and uh, for uh, All Night Long. Parenthesis, All Night. Uh, he was also nominated for Producer of the Year, not Classical, that year. Uh, so I get that that song beat the deadline. Because the next year, <laughs> he is nominated for Song of the Year for Hello. He wins Grammy. He wins the Grammy for Producer of the Year, non-classical, and Album of the Year for Can't Slow Down. Who did he beat out? Let's see. So he beat out She's So Unusual, Cindy Lauper. Uh, I know someone who might be upset about that. <laughs> Big Cindy Lauper fan. Shout out to Brad. Um. Purple Rain. Yeah. <laughs> Purple Rain. Born in the USA, Bruce Springsteen. These are classics, people. <laughs> and Private Dancer by Tina Turner. This I I feel like this should have been a tough category to vote for, but honestly, Can't Slow Down is the safe pick. Which they yeah. have done before. Oh, yeah. They have definitely done the safe thing. So I think they, they went safe with um, with with Lino here on this. Uh, what do you think? Oh, de- definitely. I would have probably gone with Born in the USA, Close Second Purple Rain. Um, the only reason I say that is because I, I, I feel like I understand how good Purple Rain was. But from just a stylistic standpoint and songwriting, I just preferred Born in the USA and the songs on there. You can't go wrong, in my opinion, with either of those. Private Dancer, third. I agree. It's probably the weakest. I'm not familiar with the Cyndi Lauper album that lost. Uh, That had um, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Oh, jeez. And uh, Time After Time. Okay. And She-Bop. Okay. That's why I said, like, because of She-Bop primarily. It it's probably like the second most unsafe selection. <laughs> yeah, that's behind probably, Purple Rain. Yeah, that was the that was the easiest. Oh, and all through the night is also on there. Yeah, so that's just like that's that's wild though. Like that's because that's when Bruce Springsteen was in his bag, like yeah. making really good stuff, and you're just like, we're gonna give it to that Lionel Richie character for his Thriller clone, like. <laughs> Okay, yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> um, mm. So, yeah, uh, see if, what other awards it, it won. Uh, it was nom- well, it was nominated for Best Male Video for All Night Long, Princess All Night. <laughs> uh, at the very first MTV VMAs, it lost to China Girl by David Bowie. Hmm. Uh, it was also nominated with Uptown Girl, 
Thriller and Rocket by Herbie Hancock. For video of the year? Best male oh, video. Best male video, okay. Uptown Girl's a great video. I don't think people know much about that video, but that's that's he got from behind the piano. <laughs> <laughs> uh let's see what else it was nominated for from um, this album. Uh for the American Music Awards, he won uh he won for Best Pop Rock Male Artist and Best well, Favorite Pop Rock Male Artist and Favorite Pop Rock Male Video Artist. And he was nominated for Best for Favorite Soul R&B Male Artist and did not win. Um, but he was he won for Best for Favorite Soul R&B Male Video Artist, though I guess. American Music Awards, it's weird. I guess it's, I know it was based on radio airplay, but I guess they considered the videos as well. Mm -hmm. I think they started doing that because of the VMAs. Uh, He won for Best Pop Rock Video and Best Soul R&B Video for Hello. So he won both of those awards for the same song. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, nominated for Best Pop Rock Album and Best Soul R&B Album for the same album. Mm. Um. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how that works exactly. I mean, I know he was he was genre bending, but <laughs> for the same. Well, for the same. I understand if it's for the under the album because he was going across different genres, but for the same song. Yeah. I don't, you know. <laughs> um. That that is interesting as well, but. Um, I guess to to end this discussion, like how from listening to it, even though it's with your 2022 brain, <laughs> uh, how do you view this album overall as far as how it stands up even to Thriller or in the long term? This is going to sound bad. I think it's kind of forgettable. I mean, like I said, the songs are pretty cool, you know, but... I I feel like I could have gone this wouldn't be on that list of a thousand and one albums to hear before you die. And this won the Grammy for album of the year. And I almost kind of feel like since the Grammys aren't that old, there should be space on that list, a list like that, for every album that's won album of the year. And you could and I guarantee you if we look at that list two of the albums that it beat are probably on that list and purple oh, yeah. rain and born in the USA are probably both on that album. I love pop music, but man, does this feel like a throwaway album? I, and like now understanding how quickly they made it, this probably was, there were probably, it was probably rushed. I imagine he was working on a very hard deadlines. Yeah. Um, but like I said, what do I know? This sold 20 million copies. So clearly he's the. I was looking at this. Okay. So um, Private Dancer is in the Library of Congress, preserved in the Library of Congress. Born in the USA. um, It doesn't say, but it probably is. Um, No, it doesn't say, but. Uh, it it should be 
Yeah, or maybe they got mad because it criticized. It's a criticized America. Yeah, and they, they didn't know it yet. They're like, "What do you mean it's about a Vietnam vet?" Like, uh, Purple Rain is in the Grammy Hall of Fame yeah. and preserved in the Library of Congress. Yeah, and See So Unusual is preserved in the Library of Congress. <laughs> Can't slow down. Just exists. One album of the year. <laughs> it just exists. Um, but I do agree that. In the grand scheme of, you know, kind of of the great albums by black artists, especially in the in that time uh, or even compared to a thriller, it is forgettable. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, well, like I said, I feel like it's forgettable for a lot of black people because it's, it's not something that I was thinking that uh, like with the other R&B artists, the romantic R&B that you would have from Marvin Gaye or Barry White or mm-hmm. um, or Freddie Jackson, Luther Vandross. Oh, Freddie Jackson, okay. <laughs> okay, Greg, okay. <laughs> but, like, during that time, but think about it, during the, like, during that time, the kind of R&B that was being put out yeah. was, was more of that mood music, <laughs> you know, that romantic R&B, and that's not what, while Lionel Richie says he 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 writes love songs, it wasn't it wasn't baby making music. No, he just wrote he wrote like your your standard ballad, right? That anyone could sing. That's not a bad thing because I'm pretty sure that's how he made a lot. I mean, like if you look, he was writing a lot, so I'm pretty sure you know the reason Nicole Richie was able to be friends with Paris Hilton. It's because he had all that publishing money from all those years, <laughs> from all these songs like Easy and Hello and Say You, Say Me being played on the radio. I mean, he he had won an Oscar for Say yeah. You, Say Me. Like he was, I can't imagine how much money he was bringing in, you know, just from that. But it's just like, these are not songs that like, you know, ain't nobody singing this on Soul Train. I'm just saying, like, you're not going to be like. Oh, and he also had another smash hit that was nominated for an Oscar before for um, Endless Love. Endless, okay, yeah. Wasn't so, that in um, An Officer and a Gentleman? That was for the movie Endless Love. Endless Love. Never mind. What am I thinking of? Up Where We Belong. Yeah, yeah. That, that's Officer and a Gentleman. Um, so... At the time, and with Endless Love, he was looked at more as, okay, he writes these ballads. Mm-hmm. You know, he's going to be writing for Diana Ross. And the turn might have started when he had that song for Kenny Rogers. <laughs> and him not, not being, and he's kind of separate from, he's not the romantic R&B guys I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And he's not quite Michael Jackson or Prince either. Mm-mm. So he's in this like gray area. He's also not Billy Joel or something like he's that. He's not like Billy he's, Joel. He's not Elton John. Yeah, he's not them. He's just kind of there by himself. Yeah. Which is what made it kind of weird for him to go solo, you know? Like, where are you going to be? Like, you can't. Well, he, he went solo from the Commodores because the songs that he was writing were becoming the hits. Yeah. And the rest of the band really didn't want to do those kind of songs mm-hmm. anymore. You know who he reminds me of then in that sense? Phil Collins. Yeah. Like he starts writing songs for his band that, and I mean, I don't have this on any authority. Maybe they were like, eh, 
we don't want to do another day in paradise. <laughs> and well, that's happened to them twice because Peter Gabriel was somewhere well, else. Peter Gabriel was, in, like, <laughs> was another galaxy. He was somewhere uh, else, still... and they didn't want to do that either. Like he made one mainstream esque album, and then like everything else is just like weird. <laughs> I like the guy, just but yeah, like it was like you think of you think of like you know someone like Phil Collins who doesn't have a lot of you know songs for other people, but like he could write "Take a Look at Me Now." He could write those types of ballads, and he was in a band that like was just different. Although to his credit as well. Invisible Touch. Like, he could come through and write that type of song if he needed to. And that song was an accident. <laughs> was it really? Yeah, it was from, like, a jam session, and he didn't have awesome. any lyrics. So it was like, uh, whatever the hook is, she do, seems do, to do, have do, an invisible, invisible touch. touch. He was just singing that. And like, oh, we liked it. So they wrote a song around that oh, line. Oh, nice. Okay. That's pretty dope. <laughs> That's a great song. So, yeah, I mean, he could do it when he needed to, but, like, you know, some of his biggest songs, you know, of his career were like kind of slowed down ballads, you know. So I don't know, but yeah, he's he he's kind of in a in in a place Is of he his in own. that category? Like more of the Phil Collins? Well, Phil couldn't dance. <laughs> <laughs> Phil they kind of dressed the same. They both were kind of like, you know, those types a of a lot of baggy stuff. Yeah, like they just I mean, Phil, you know, is bald and Lionel still has his hair. I think but, what probably helped Phil more is that he had a sense of humor. Yeah, yeah, he never took himself too serious. And his videos were entertaining as yeah. far as they were funny. Mm-hmm. With Lionel Richie, you probably could blame Bob Garaldi for it, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm telling you, he, he saw it. <laughs> he saw it. He just, you don't question Bob. He even said, it's like, you know, Bob's the man. You don't question him. But something tells me, like, he saw it. He was like, You know who probably, was probably telling him who? that he's the guy? Barry Gordy. <laughs> he's done like Barry, Michael. Barry, I don't know about this. No, like, Pat, he directed Michael, okay? That's, you, that's what we need. You you, you got to <laughs> use him. He's a he's a good guy, you know? Um, I would I would watch his videos over buying a sandwich, you know? Like, <laughs> 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 it came down to it. So, uh, Wanting to do this, talking about this album, came from uh, this clip I saw on The Breakfast Club and um, wanted to know what, what your thoughts were on this. So there was this clip on The Breakfast Club where T, they're talking to T.I. I don't know when this interview was, mm-hmm. but they're talking to T.I. And T.I. is a record executive. Okay. And one of his... What, Grand one of his Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and one of his artists that, kind of, that blew up almost immediately was Iggy Azalea. Mm, okay. And he was saying that um, they were asking him, like, if he had any regrets or things that he would want to do differently or want to do over again. And he was talking about, like, he didn't regret it, but I guess there was something that he wished he could have, maybe something he wished he could have done differently, not sure what, but how he handled Iggy Azalea. And what he said was, well, he kind of, like, lost her when like when fancy blew up and you know mm-hmm. and he said when she found out when she realized that white people like her music too mm. she started moving differently mm. and when picking this album i thought about that 
How his appeal to white America? His appeal to white America. Mm-hmm. Like this is sold twenty million copies. Yeah. It won album of the year. But compared to the other albums nominated in that category, it could be considered the most forgettable. Um, but it sold so well because I think it appealed a lot to to white people. And we're not saying this to be divisive, but no. this is a thing. Like is it like it, as far as thing. like yeah. when black people think of Lionel Richie, they're talking about Commodores. Yeah. Maybe a couple of endless love sprinkled in there. Mm-hmm. Um, Dancing on the ceiling is okay. Nope, nope. They don't talk about that. No. <laughs> um, they don't talk about all night long unless you like really super. If you're really super conservative in black, maybe. <laughs> um, but when it comes to a lot of Richie, you think Commodores first. Yeah. That's what you play at the park. Mm-hmm. That's what you play at the cookout. Yeah. Um, not to say that, oh, we only care about music that can be played at a cookout. But this is a thing. Like, this is, and that's a good point, because that was one thing that when I did look into this and, and I listened to people talk about it, that was something they talked about. Like, it appealed to white America. So, you know, the resort music comment about how, you know, like, this is what people listen to around the world. This is what people listen to when they go to uh, a, a resort in Jamaica or Aruba or something, and that type of music starts playing. I mean, that's it's, that's a very interesting look at it. I wonder if that's what he was thinking when he made the album. If he even had time to think <laughs> because of how quick yeah. he made it. But no, that's an, that's a very interesting point. I didn't I didn't think too much about. Um, but being white famous is a thing for anyone who's like wondering what we're talking about. And I mean. I I didn't watch the show, but Jamie Foxx made a show called White Famous. Right. Talking about a comedian who was black and started to get big and he becomes quote unquote white famous, which is when you cross over. And I mean it's this is also not a dig at black people, but like you're not selling twenty million albums if you're only catering to black people. It's just not happening, unfortunately. It'd be wonderful if it could, but you know, you've gotta have some you've gotta have some crossover success, really. Yeah. To, to really be and that's why Barry Gordy and everyone at not Barry Gordy but um Michael's camp fought really hard to get him on MTV <laughs> because before that it was just the Jackson Five and they weren't playing many black artists and you know you, you've got to you've got to get in front of some white folks if you're gonna sell these records and and have these hit songs and that's a very interesting take on this album. I still want to know what like the there there's a lot of like missing history even though it's something that they should know there should be some recording of the very first day of MTV. Who was the first black artist? A lot of people say it was Michael Jackson. He was the first one to be like in heavy rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, some people say it's Prince. Yeah, but I don't know. He was. I, I don't know if he even even before when Doves Cry. I don't know what other videos he may have had to even to be in the mm-hmm. rotation. Um, and this one said like I, I was doing more research. The first video with black artists might have been the specials. Like a two tone band. Oh wow! <laughs> okay. Um. So, and I think that was. I think it was more coincidental on MTV's part. Well, I thought that, and I know you're scum with us. David Bowie's interview 
um, when he talked about it. He was well, he, being, yeah, he being, noted. I mean, it was noticeable. Yeah, it he, was noticeable. He, he brought it up, and I mean, he didn't like the. I think it was maybe a programmer or something he was talking to tried to give him an answer, and David Bowie was not taking it. David Bowie was like, "Well, yeah, I've seen that." Clip. He was I like, "How do you think that exactly, makes but... young black, you know, young black kids at home, teenagers at home, feel?" To not see it. it. It was it was a very, and it just kind of showed how progressive someone like a David Boy was, which is why when people talk about things like appropriation, I know he, you know, he did some funk stuff in the 80s and I wouldn't. And then he married a black woman. Yeah. David Boy is understood. You know, I, I never felt like David Bowie felt that, you know, he was better than the type of music he was playing. I think he just had an appreciation. It yeah, for he it. wasn't trying to be outside of yeah. himself. Like he I mean he worked with he knew who to work with, worked with Nara Rogers on Just Dance, but like I thought that was a really interesting take from him when they said, Well this is what, you know, these people want to hear and he's like, Well how do you think young black teenagers at home feel when they're watching this and they're not Sounds you know, too logical, Ben. What do you think they want to hear? You know, <laughs> too logical. <laughs> so you know, I, I you know I respected him before, respected him even more after after seeing that. So it was it was quite noticeable. I mean, to the point of where Rick James um, didn't want to. Yeah, he yeah, said he, something too. He said something like, "So yeah, it was." That's a very interesting. And then you've got an album like this where it's very accessible. You know. It could almost be an entry point to this type of to this type of music because I mean, like, while you know we were like it's not R and B, it's kind of R and B. It's R and B adjacent ish. You know, this could be somebody's entry point. You know, I always think of how bring him up again. Finn McKenty talks about someone like Olivia Rodrigo. You got all these people like she's not rock, but she could be an entry point for somebody. They could listen to her music. And they're like, oh, man, who are her influences? Paramore. And then they go listen to a Paramore album. Who are Paramore's influences? Oh, I don't, I'm don't. i making this up. A Newfound Glory. Then they go listen, like, and that's their entry point. So it's like you could be like, oh, man, I like this Lionel Richie. Who are his influences? And next thing you know, you're, you're, you're down a rabbit hole. But who we think that, I guess in this case, like who we think his influences might be, um... People really maybe not appreciate Bert, all that. Bert Bacharach, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to think, him as a writer, like, who are his influences, you know? Uh, because this was, this was, uh, it was a departure, it was a departure from what he did in the previous decade. Yeah. Um, you know, and I understand where you're coming from by saying, like, it could be an entry point for, to, for introducing someone to R&B. I thought more of, like, with Kenny G being that entry point for jazz. Yeah. Introduce but fans, yeah. I think some people would look at how some people look at Kenny G as like, oh, this is real jazz. And not go further. <laughs> and not go any further. And be like, that bebop, that look bebop at, stuff is noise. <laughs> <laughs> they'll look at Lionel Richie as, this is R&B, and stop right there. I, I hope not. <laughs> but I do understand as well, everyone's not that type of music fan to just go down a hole. You know? Um, easier today than it was 30 plus years ago. But I think that that could be a fair point. And it also could be unfortunate. Yeah. Um, because then, yeah, this, you know, it's like, like the first time I was around somebody, I was like, hey, let's listen to like, you know, metal. And it was just like what I considered metal. It's not metal to them. <laughs> it's like, you know, and to that, I would say don't gatekeep. 
you know, if somebody comes in and says, like, you know, I feel like this is R&B, my job isn't to gatekeep. My job is to expand their, you know, just like people did to me. And unfortunately, a lot of metalheads don't do that. They just make fun of you. Um, sometimes people who are fans of hip hop, I know this is a different genre, but like, you know, that, I guess that's ultimately what I'm trying to say is like, don't gatekeep. If somebody's truly interested, you know, try to help them. You know, if they if they don't want to learn about it, then they just don't want to learn about it. You know, if they want to continue saying, you know, Lionel Richie is like so soulful, then just you, know, hey, you know, that's just <laughs> uh, that's, that's just thing. so weird to hear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, it's dripping with soul. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the most I could just say was like, like, uh, like uh, there's more than that. Yeah. Okay, there there's more than that. Take take the next step. You know. The entry points are, are are fine, but especially if you have an entry point, there can with, be more with like you know someone deeper in that genre. And I'm trying to think of someone who's done that before, because usually like you'll have your song, but you'll bring along somebody. Sometimes you might say it's for cred, but it really might be someone that you really admire. You know, I think of like you know John Mellencamp with Michelle and Degiacello. You know he. Some people might say, oh, he did it for cred. Or he really might have liked Michelle and Degia Cello. He saw her performing one time or yeah, something. Yeah, he might have really liked her. So I like to think of it like that, but Lionel Richie didn't really do that. He didn't bring he didn't really bring along anybody. <laughs> or, did people want to work with him? I don't know. Or maybe, like, I, I honestly feel like he wanted to work with country artists because mm-hmm. he saw where that could be going. Yeah. And he was discouraged from it. Probably. Probably by certain people saying like you're you're too black to do country. Yeah. Which horrible way of thinking, <laughs> but maybe someone did think that. Um, but then again, I mean, because I know he did the country album. I just I don't know enough about Lionel Richie to know how deep his country roots go. Because I would hate to think that like all he ever wanted to do was make like the greatest country album ever, and everyone's just like, nah, you you can't <laughs> because you're black. Like I would hate that for him because that's got to be like infuriating. <laughs> Man, this, like this—it's so because he he went to an HBCU. Yeah, he's a member of Alpha Phi Alpha, <laughs> a black fraternity. And he's making stuck on you. Like, <laughs> like I, I, uh, I, I don't, his, I don't know. His fraternity <laughs> brothers are like, bro, what you doing, man? <laughs> what is this? So, you know, it's. Uh, God, I would hate to find that out, man. I I might do some research, I but I, I would really hate to find out like all he ever wanted to do was just be Charlie Pride. Like that's what he wanted to be, and everyone's like, "No, we already got one. You mm-mm. just keep making, you know, keep making these ballads. You know, everything yeah, country we on, got. You know, on Tuskegee, he has a song with Darius Rucker. Yeah. Got to have one black person. Up yep. There. Um, but yeah, but I I think this is. I, and I think it's unfortunate that this album is forgettable. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Academy can't get it right every year, right? <laughs> um, And it was made for, like, questionable reasons. Mm-hmm. The way it was put together yeah. and the way it was marketed uh, was just trying to keep up with Michael. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and writes a song with him, like, a year later. <laughs> and wins another Grammy. I wonder how they felt about that. <laughs> Mr. Gordy. <laughs> they probably so, felt good about that. I was trying to imi- I was trying to imitate um John Mulaney. <laughs> they probably felt good about it though. <laughs> oh god. 
All right, so that would do it for our discussion on uh, Lionel Richie's Can't Slow Down. Get to my earworm of the week. Uh, this was a... Um, I, was, I didn't even know this album was coming out, and then it just appeared to me. Um, I'm a big fan of Robert Glasper. Mm, yeah, you are. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> uh, he has released Black Radio 3. Oh, nice. Okay, okay. And... Um, Another one of my, he did a song with one of my favorite singers, Yeba. She's on tour with John Mayer right now. I didn't know that. Yeah, on the Sob Rock tour she's on. Um, mm, I don't, doesn't sound like a fit, honestly, but. I didn't whatever. understand it either. <laughs> I just saw the poster and I saw Yeba and I was like, ah, oh, interesting. I got to let Greg know. I saw this yesterday, so. <laughs> uh, but they have a song called uh, Over. Um. It has the the chords that Robert Glasper normally plays. <laughs> uh, you know it when you hear it. <laughs> but I really like the song. So this is Over by Robert Glasper featuring Yeba. And we'll be right back. That is Over by Robert Glasper, featuring Yeba, from the album Black Radio 3. Uh, also has, uh, he has songs with 
um, Q-Tip, Esperanza Spalding. PJ Morton on there. Uh, her and Sheldon Daguiocello, Layla Hathaway, Common, Music Soul Child, PJ Morton, Ty Dolla Sign, NDRE, Jennifer Hudson, uh, 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 Gregory Porter, Lettucey, an all-star lineup, of course, as just like the other two. <laughs> Did you ever hear PJ Morton's cover of Black Beatles? That was one of my earworms. Oh, what? That's how I found it then. Okay. I, was like, <laughs> I found it somehow. I love this cover, but yeah. All right. So that will do it for episode 170 by the time you hear this podcast. Um, number one, baby. The number one music pod, the number one music history podcast in the world. We don't have to prove that. We just <laughs> say it, and it's true. All right. Oasis used to say they're the it is quantifiable. Band in the world, you know, it is quantifiable, but that's not important. <laughs> hey, Oasis said it. If you keep saying you're the biggest band in the world, eventually someone's gonna believe you. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Uh, so, what should we end the show with? We played all the songs. Um, should we play something from Tuskegee? Yeah, why not? Play something from Tuskegee. Um, Tuskegee, Alabama. What else was on there? All right, there's Hello with Jennifer Nettles. I would like to hear her sing that. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. All right, we can do that. She's got a great voice. All right, so this is Hello, mm-hmm. Lionel Richie, and Jennifer Nettles. And thank you all for listening. We definitely appreciate it. And we'll talk to you very, very soon. Peace. Peace. my mind And in my dreams I've kissed your lips a thousand times I sometimes see you pass outside my door Hello Is it me you're looking for I can see it in your eyes See it in your smile You're all I've ever wanted And my arms are open wide Cause you know just what to say And you know just what to do And I want to tell you so much I love you Yeah.